Well, praise the Lord. It's great to see each one of you this morning. If you would, I'd like you to be turning to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus, second book in the Old Testament, chapter 17. And uh, what, a, what a tremendous blessing this music has been. Man, I'll tell you, uh, you could not have picked out the songs and put it in with this sermon any better than what you're going to see this morning. And it's tremendous what God does. Uh, while you're turning there, Exodus chapter 17, I want to tell you, I know you're a great church, and, and uh, this is a wonderful church. Uh, I appreciate you so much. But there's one guy in this church that's just giving me a fit. And uh, don't laugh now, I'm serious. I, and we're just going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Uh, I mean, I've spent more time with this one person. I've done everything I know how to do. I've prayed. I've compromised. I've done everything to try to make things right so things can move smoothly. But there's just one guy that uh, he, he's just a pain. And I'm going to go ahead and call his name. I mean, we're family here. Amen? All right. It's me. I have more trouble out of myself than I do anybody else. Oh, I see some people wiping their sweat. <laughs> Lord, I hope the video cameras caught the congregation when I said that. I'll go back and review that this week. I know you found it true, too. Your enemy inside the fort, yourself, is usually the biggest problem you've got. And it returns over and over again. Sometimes the Bible calls it the old man. Sometimes the Bible calls it the flesh. But we're in a battle. We've got three enemies. We've got the world. We've got the devil and we've got the flesh. Uh, those are our three enemies. And uh, I want to just talk this morning about the flesh. And, and uh, I'm not talking about the material body, but I'm talking about ourselves, the old man, the old nature. It would have been wonderful. Uh, I think it would. Who am I? I? I think every time I think, boy, Lord, this would have been good if you'd have done this. I, I think of what the Lord said. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? You know, if you want your way, you go create your own heavens and earth. But uh, to me, it would have been wonderful if when God saved me, he took the old man away. But he doesn't do that. He continues to live in us. It's an old man, an old nature. Now you say, what does that have to do with the 17th chapter of Exodus? One thing that's wonderful to me is the Old Testament is the greatest devotional book that there ever has been written. It really is. It's a book of history. I know that. But, but in it are devotion after devotion uh, and, and uh, the history of it here. And so I'm, I'm talking about a, particularly the coming of the Jewish nation out of Egypt, coming out through the desert, through the Red Sea, and then entering into Canaan land. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, that all of this, the Old Testament, was written for our examples. So we can learn from it. Don't ever think, well, I don't need to read the Old Testament. No, that's where our examples are there. We desperately need to read the Old Testament. And there's a life of conquest here. Egypt represents the world. Therefore, we've been called out of Egypt. God called them out of Egypt. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Pharaoh represents the devil. And then they were headed toward Canaan, a land of oil, a land of, of wine, of corn, of figs. Boy, we've eaten two or three uh, times this week where they have reduced a fig thing down to, oh my soul, it was delicious. I forgot how good figs really were. 
We had so many of them growing up, I, I got tired of them. But just all of this was in Canaan land, the pomegranates, the milk, honey, and rivers. And they were called into to, to, to Canaan. You say, well, what does Canaan represent? Now, don't say that because many of you are going to miss it if you don't get this. Canaan does not represent the new heaven. You say, well, I've been taught that all my life. There are no battles in the new heaven. Canaan does not represent the new heaven. Canaan represents the spiritual life. Canaan's not talking about in the pie, sky in the pie, pie in the sky. Remember, I'm still on those pain meds. It's not talking about pie in the sky. It's talking about here in the nasty and now. We, 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 we find them being delivered out of Egypt. And we're going to see all of this. Last Sunday, many of you commented how great it was the shortest sermon I've ever preached. Today, I'm making up for it, all right? So just stay with me, all right? Here we go. Uh, so as Christians, we've come out of Egypt, and we're coming in through a wilderness, and we're headed toward to Canaan. And we ought to already be there. We ought to already be in Canaan land. We ought to already be rejoicing in the spirit-filled life. Egypt, the world, Pharaoh, the devil, and Canaan, the victorious life. But I want to tell you, we're going to see a guy this morning who represents the flesh. And that's the same one I've been having trouble with. Look at verse 8, Exodus chapter 17. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Exodus 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek. Now, Amalek represents the flesh. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. I can I just imagine. We all know Dan Rather was there when Abraham Lincoln gave his speech. I'm sure he was here for this, too. Can you hear Dan Rather saying, there's something going on in the valley? We're up here on the hill, and every time this old man raises his hand, Israel prevails. But when the old man drops his hand, Israel loses. I don't know what's going on. I just think about what might happen if Dan Rather had been there on there. But, uh, but look at the verse 12. Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone, put it under him. He sat there on, and Aaron and her raised up his hands, stayed up his hands held up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua, the King James says, discomforted. The East Texas version of that is beat the living daylights out of Amalek. That's just all a fancy way of saying that, to the edge of the sword. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to us. Thank you for the glorious time we had praising your name. Lord, we stand amazed. We stand amazed in what you have done, what you're doing right now, and Lord, what you will do one day. We by faith trust you, God, because there's no other person we can trust. We have to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you this morning. You can sit down. Uh, four principles of victory and that I want to talk to you about here uh, that the Bible teaches. Uh, and uh, literally, I think probably each one of us need to 
to uh, put these into our own lives and make sure that we've handled these four areas, these four principles of victory. Number one is this, you've got to accept the provision. The provision that Christ has given us for victory is a thing called salvation. That's what Christ has given us. Now listen, if you're trying to live in victory without ever being born again, without ever coming to Jesus Christ to be saved, you'll never have victory. God's way of victory is a gracious provision called salvation. If you go back to the first verse of this chapter, all the congregation journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, pitched it. They pitched their tents. They set them up. They set them up there in Rephidim. There's no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people chided with Moses. They scolded him and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why do you chide me? Uh, you're you're tempting the Lord and the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and so Moses said wherefore is all that brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and and the children our cattle thirst and he cried unto the Lord say what what are we going to do with these people Lord you're the one that led us out here now what are we going to do they want some water what are we going to do with these people now I want you to get the picture out there They're, they're out there in a barren land and they're dying it's hot it's in the wilderness and, and, and Moses says, God, what, what do you want me to do? What can I do? And he said, you take the elders of Israel, you take a rock, you take a rod, and you go to this rock, and you smite that rock. You ever try to get water out of a rock? I mean, what a ridiculous thing to tell the prophet of God to do. He said, you go out there, and you take that rod, and you smite that rock, and water is going to come out of that rod. Well, Man, I want to tell you, it's a tremendous illustration here because remember the Old Testament talks about the history and the devotion. The Bible says he did that. Listen, you remember 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says that all these things were for our examples. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10, 4 uh, said. Uh, it says, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Then they're talking about water coming out in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's talking about the water, and that rock is Jesus Christ. What a tremendous blessing and a tremendous testimony. Isaiah says, we did esteem him stricken, smitten from God. Jesus was smitten from God, died on Calvary, completely alone, stand uh, on that cross there. Our rock died for us. And there's a, something that came out of that rock, though called the Holy Spirit and he's in us and he refreshes us I don't know if y'all get brother Clark's uh, uh, messages or not but he sent one out early this morning I tell you uh, tremendous wisdom in that he said uh, God forms us the devil deforms us Christ transforms us and the Holy Spirit informs us now, for a guy who can't find his car in the parking lot, that's pretty sharp. I just want to tell you right now, it is sharp. I, I get those every so often from him. That is tremendous there. Uh, listen, if, you, if you've received Jesus this morning, let me ask you something. Are you thirsty? Are you really thirsty? You're here today and you say, Lord, have mercy. You don't know how thirsty I am. I'm empty. I didn't ask you if he's empty. My truck runs on empty about 90% of the time, but it's never thirsty. I'm asking you this morning, not if you're running on empty, I'm asking you, are you thirsty? We were in uh, one of the local 
we'll call it a restaurant. It's a glorified bar is what it is. But, but uh, uh, when you have revivals and all here and you take preachers to eat late at night, uh, I mean, that's all there is open. It's a restaurant. So we're all right. We've justified it. But we're in there around this table. This lady comes over and she says, can I get any of y'all a cocktail or a drink or something like that? Some of them, I think, probably wanted some, but they all, the preachers sitting there, and they said, oh, no. And this evangelist said, no, we're not thirsty. I, I had a drink about 20 years ago, and I've never wanted a drink since. It has, full, it has filled me up. She said, wow, that must have been some kind of drink. And he said, it was. She said, well, tell me about it. And she, he said, no, you, you go wait on everybody else, and when you've got a few minutes, come back over here, and I'll tell you about it. And sure enough, she did. She came back over, and he told her all about the Lord and how to be saved. And he said this, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Wow. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. We've got a, a, a way of escaping this life. It's called salvation. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to come to him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I'm willing to let you take over my life. I surrender all. Come in and take over my life. Wow. Well, let me tell you, the second thing here you've got to realize in this scripture is we've got a purpose. We've got a purpose because being saved is wonderful, but I want to tell you that's not the best part of it. God didn't just save you to be saved. God has also given much more for you. His plan was not merely that they come out of Egypt and cross Sinai and, and, and go there. Let me tell you, listen to me, don't miss this. God brought them out to bring them in. Did you hear? You didn't hear what I said. God brought them out of bondage and slavery to bring them in. I want to tell you something. The wilderness was never supposed to last more than seven days. But they got up to the Jordan River and refused to go in. Manna was only supposed to last for, it was temporary. It was not to sustain them. It was just to get them by. It was a temporary food. <laughs> wow. You go back into Exodus 13, a couple of chapters. Verse 3 says, Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. Underscore that. Remember this day. You came out from Egypt, uh, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall be no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month, Abib, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee, underscore that now, bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Now watch this. A land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. There will be no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day. In that day saying, this is done because of what, that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Now, he, he, you say, what does all that mean? It means he's bringing us out of bondage to bring us into the Canaan land, into the spirit-filled life. Now, you can just imagine there, uh, I, you know, when you get into that land of the milk and honey and figs and pomegranates, he, that's the time. Listen to me. God never told them to celebrate the, the Passover feast in the wilderness. 
There was not supposed to be one in the wilderness. God told them to celebrate the Passover feast after they crossed Jordan. They got into the spirit-filled life. That's when you celebrate Passover. Uh, Let me just ask you, why is it that the devil seems to be getting so many good kids? I'm talking about parents who raise their kids right, parents who taught Sunday school, parents who sang in the choir, parents who were deacons, parents who were Sunday school teachers, they sang in the nursing homes, they they ministered on buses, and they tried to raise their kids right, and then those kids end up leaving God, leaving the church, some of them on drugs, some of them in illicit sex, some of them, what, what, why is that? How can the devil do that? Now listen, you can't put everybody in the same book. I'm not trying to do that this morning. But I want to tell you a major part of it, I believe, is this. We got a lot of folk in the Baptist church who are living in the wilderness. They, they, came, out of, they came out of Egypt. They got saved. But they're not living in the happiness of Canaan. They're just still living in the wilderness. 49 years, 40 years. Huh, don't make it longer than it was. 40 years, they wandered round and round. God says, I brought you out so that I can bring in. Now, you remember what they had in the wilderness to eat. I mean, bless God, there was one thing about it. If you were a mother, you never had to hear your son say, what are we having for breakfast this morning, Mama? Manna. What are we having for lunch? Manna. What are we having for supper? Manna. Forty years. Manna. You say, well, we're going to have potluck down to the church tonight. You get all excited thinking, bless God, maybe somebody dug up a ginger root or something like that and boiled it and somebody had some cabbage soup or something. But you get there and every pot you look at is manna. And then the, then the father's over here on the rock out in that blazing sun in the desert and the father's saying, son, we're going to celebrate. The son says, celebrate what? Well, son, there was a day when we were in bondage and, and, and uh, you know, those children have been born now. Forty years they've been wandering around in the desert. Some 14, 15-year-old boy sitting there on the, on the stone with his daddy and he said, what are we going to celebrate? All he's ever heard was the sermons about Canaan. He'd never seen it. All he's seen is the wilderness. Manna, manna, manna. And the daddy said, we're going to celebrate the feast of the Passover. The son says, now listen to me. The son says, daddy, don't you think it's time we went back down to Egypt where you could get some grilled fish, have some herbs on it with butter and all that? You know, they have all that down there in Egypt. Don't you think that it's time we go back to Egypt. Huh? How many of our kids have sat in our homes and thought, bless God, there's got to be more to Christianity than this. God didn't save us to be miserable. Wow. God brought us out to bring us in. Don't be living in the wilderness. That's not what God asked you to do. God said, I'm going to provide a way out of there. He did what he said he'd do. They came through on dry ground. God says, I'm going to give you temporary provisions. He did what he said he'd do. 
they got there in that week and they looked over Jordan and they sent a committee over there. You want to get something shot down in a Baptist church, just get you a committee. They sent a committee over there and they said, oh, it's like everybody says, it's a land filled with milk and honey, but they got big people over there. We can't do it. We can't do it. Well, let me tell you something, son. You don't remember. You couldn't get out of Egypt. You were in slavery for years down there and you couldn't get out. You didn't do that. God did it. You couldn't feed yourself in the desert. God did it. You couldn't provide water. God did it. But now all of a sudden we get to the land of fullness and the spirit-filled land. Well, God can't do that. We tell you this morning, God can do it. He brought us out to bring us in. Let me give you this third thing real quickly here. Uh, You've got to re- expect, uh, respect the problem here. And the problem is the flesh. You go back to Genesis 17, verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. Now listen, when did Amalek come to fight with Israel? After God delivered them from the slavery. You listen to me. Leroy, you listen good. You're 78 years old, but you listen good. Leroy was saved this week. 78, 78 years old. The moment you come out of the will, out of the uh, bondage, that's when the old flesh will attack you. He, he'll leave you alone as long as you're down there in bondage. His goal is to keep you lost, but once you get saved, he knows he can't do anything about your salvation. So his next best thing is to just make you a, a Christian that don't count. One that lives in the wilderness. You know why we don't have any more effect on people around us than we do? Because most of them have determined if that's what Christ is all about, I don't want any of it. The flesh. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this, but Amalek was a king, but he was a grandson of Esau. And Esau, you remember, was a man who sold his birthright for just a a pot of stew there. And... uh, Uh, literally living in the world, in the carnal part of it there. The Bible calls it in Hebrews 12, a profane person, one who sold uh, his birthright for a morsel. And the Bible teaches us in Malachi, I don't have time, but if you go to Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you'll find God said, I hated Esau. He's not talking about Esau, the person. He's talking about Esau, the the, uh, generation, Esau, the, the country there. Uh, all the dragons of the wilderness he talks about and uh, all that. He's talking about that. Now, uh, when he's talking about this whole nation, not just people of the flesh, people of the physical, physical bodies, gets a little complicated. Amalek's the grandson of Esau, so he has a part of that category in what God says, I have a perpetual war with. I mean, this, this, this spiritual thing we've got going on inside of us, this this flesh is perpetual. You're not going to do it one time. You're not going to do it one time. A lot of difficulty and problem. Now listen, the Bible says in Romans 8, 6 and 7, to be carnally minded, carnally minded. You can change that word out carnal and put in flesh if you desire to. To be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now here's why. It's in the scripture, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. You want to know why 
some folks just not happy, going to be happy, period, because they're carnal. They're fleshly. If you're here this morning and you're lost without Christ, what, what we say here this morning doesn't make any sense unless the Holy Spirit takes you and says you need to be saved. None of this other stuff makes any sense. It don't make any sense at all. But if you say, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus, soon as you drink of that water that came out of that rock, wow, immediately Amalek's going to attack you. Now let me give you this last thing I'm through. You've got to understand the principle. The victory is God-given. You can't get the victory yourself. The victory is God-given. Now, it's not a victory. Listen to me. It's not a victory over the world. It's, it's a victory of internalness over the enemy, the flesh. And every one of us have that inside of us. Uh, you remember this principle beginning in verse 9. And this, Moses said, Joshua, choose us out men. And they're going and they're, they're saying, one's going to hold up this hand, one's going to hold up this hand. Aaron, uh, Aaron and her on both sides of them there. The principle here is this. The victory is God's given. How am I going to overcome the old Charles? Oh, I know I'm going to rededicate my life. No, you'll be back in the same mess next week. That is not going to overcome your flesh. The only thing that can overcome your flesh is surrendering yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who will give you victory over your flesh. Nobody else will do that. We've got to understand the victories we have are not because we manipulated somebody or we did something. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ gave us those victories. They're God-given. When, when the hand didn't go up, they lost. Let me tell you, God's got control of this world. And God said, Moses, you take that rod. Remember, that's a rod of God. It represents a power of God. And it opened up the Red Sea. It smote the rock and sent forth water. And it led them out of bondage. And that same rod now is going to lead them into battle. He said, you take that rod, go up to the mountaintop and hold that rod up. When you do, Amalek's going to be defeated. It's a God-given victory. Don't forget that. I've learned a few things in my life. I'll tell you one of them I've learned. Uh, it's simply this. Holiness is not the way to Christ. I can sit up here this morning and tell you, 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 you can't drink, you can't cut your hair, women, you don't wear pants, uh, men, you don't wear skirts, you don't wear, I can do all that all night long. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Now, that's not a play on words. That's a whole different ball game. I can dress up and try to do all I want to to come to Christ. It's not going to work. But when I come to Christ and he begins to change this old nature, suddenly I get more holy and closer to the Lord. He said, be ye holy because I'm holy. It's a commandment that we be holy. So the victory over your flesh is a God-given victory. It's the only way you're going to come out of Egypt. It's the only way you're going to come through the wilderness. The only way you're going to cross the Jordan River. And the only way you're going to get in spirit-filled Canaan is when God gives you the victory. Outside of that, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Now, I go back to what we were talking about with Aaron and her and Moses. Well, we're in times where we need to hold each other up. 
We're in times when families are hurting, pain, decisions have to be made that nobody wants to make. There's just a lot of, of things going on. And we need to be about holding each other up and encouraging one another in these last days. I uh, heard about the little boy that came home and he probably was a lot like Charles Hunt. Had big dreams, just didn't have a whole lot of talent to go with it. They were having a school play. He said, oh, Mama, I want to be a part of that play. I just got to be a part of that play. His mother knew there's no way in the world they're going to pick him to be in that play. But he just kept on. Finally, the, came, the day came for the results of who was going to be in the play. And the mother fixed some extra good cookies and some extra things that he liked really well because she, she knew he was going to come in depressed and just downhearted, just brokenhearted. He got off the bus. He came running up, had a big smile on his face. She said, son, he said, mama, I got in the play. I'm in the play. She said, my, try not to act, you know, I can't believe, <laughs> you know, try not to act like that. She said, well, what, do, what are you doing in the play? She said, mama, they have put me in charge of clapping and cheering. Now, I know some of you old people, you can't get around like you used to. Some of us, our minds are going. We can't do what we used to do. But maybe this morning, God says, how about you being in charge of the clapping and cheering? How about you being the one that when somebody's going through something, you put your arm around them and encourage them and lift them up? How about you being that one? <laughs> we're going this afternoon at 5 o'clock. We're going to be dedicating, God willing, the children's building. We were going to do it last week, the weather. and This week, we don't know about the weather. We're going to start in the Grand Hall. If it is warm enough, those who can and haven't had the flu can go outside and pray if it's not drizzling rain. But we're in the Grand Hall. You don't ever have to go outside if you don't want to. But we're going to be dedicating a new building there. And I want to tell you, I was thinking this morning, I thank God, first of all, for my wife who has held my hands up 41 years. Some of them not been real pleasant because I'm kind of hard to live with. She's been wrong sometimes. But I have too. See, y'all didn't let me finish that sentence. That's just the wicked people y'all are. Y'all want to take that first one and run with it. But I praise God for her. I praise God for this staff. Aaron was here when I came here. Man, I could not tell you over the last 13 years how many times he's lifted my arms. And Brother Case came shortly after that. Been here, what, 10, 11, 12, 12 years. And then the staff we continue to have. And people, people say, well, let me just ask you this. If you were here, a member of this church, not before or after, but if you were here in August of 2004, a member of this church coming, would you just stand up where you are? If you were here in August 2004, now, folks, you want to look around? 
These are the people that want me gone now. I've been here 13 years. No, I'm just, <laughs> these people right here were the ones that were here. Thank you, guys. Be seated. Do, do I? Yeah, let me just tell you. Do I think for a moment that myself or Brother Aaron or Brother Case had anything spectacular to do with what God's done? No. We're not strutting. There's nobody on this staff strutting. We're praising God. Because what we've seen God do here in 13 years are miracle after miracle after miracle. After miracle. And he's going to keep on doing that as long as we keep on lifting up each other and praising the name of the Lord. I want to tell you, I believe when this church moved out here in 1985, 86, when they bought land and moved out here, they were saying, this is going to be our Canaan land. There's some battles you've got to go through. This church has gone through those battles. But this is our Canaan land. This is our land where we're going to be filled with milk and honey. Bless God, there's no diet food over there. It's all good. <laughs> Won't it be wonderful? There's going to be a day when all of this is going to be over with and we're going to be together in heaven. But I want to tell you, that day's not now. But the principle we've got to believe now as a church and as individuals is this. The victories that we're going to get when we're building this new building, they're not going to become, they're not going to come because people have necessarily worked hard. All of that's part of it. I'm not, not, not negating that at, at all. But they're going to come because God gives the victory. It comes from Him. And don't ever lose sight of the fact that the same God who has his hand on a place and the Holy Spirit is surreal, you can cut it with a knife and you leave here saying, praise God, praise God, is the same God when we think we get too big for our britches that he takes that hand off. And we become another church that just goes through the motions. It just goes through the motions. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you tired of Egypt? Tired of living in sin and living in bondage and just being wrapped up and beat down? Are you tired of that? The good news this morning is Christ can redeem you from that. He'll transform you if you come to Him in an humble heart. Now, I know there's a big fight in the convention about inviting Jesus into your heart. I'm old-fashioned. I think the, out of the heart comes the abundance of the mouth. So I think when you get the heart straight, the rest of you get straight. I still think you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. Some of you don't. That's all right with me. Then come and go ahead and announce that you've been saved and then prove it the next 15 years. But whatever you want to do, Christ is here ready. So there's some of you this morning that you need to first off say, I need to be saved. I'm not in the wilderness. I'm still back in Egypt. And then this morning, there's a bunch of folk I'm talking to, myself. Oh, there are times when we have victories, but most of the time, we'd be honest with ourselves, we're living over in the wilderness. And let's just go ahead and be just gut-level honest. wish I had my suspenders, but I don't this morning. Let's just be gut-level honest. 
When we see somebody living a spirit-filled life, it halfway ticks us off. Well, why there's a happy bunch of holy rollers? And the real reason we're doing that is because we can't be that happy. I'm telling you this morning, you can be that happy. If you come to Christ, he'll fill you up. And every time you come to him, I've heard this all my life. People say, preacher, you can't keep going to the well. I heard that at building one, building two, building three, building four. I've heard all of that. And my reply is this, depends on whose well you're going to. I can carry you to a well that will never run dry. Every time you go, you'll get filled. So it may be this morning, you're here, and the big thing you need to do is come to this altar and get with the Lord and let him show you a way out of that wilderness and get over in that spirit-filled life. If you don't do it for your own sake, do it for the sake of your children and your grandchildren. And then there's some of you this morning, you need a church home. I open the doors of the church for how we receive members. If you've been saved and spiritually baptized, we'll accept you. If you're a member of another uh, uh, church that's Southern Baptist, we'll accept you. We're looking for folk who love Jesus. Amen? So I invite you to come and be a part of this church. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. Brother Aaron's going to lead us in music. And I'm going to ask you as we pray, and I say amen. Remember what's going to happen first off. The first thing going to happen when you say right down your mind, I'm going to get my heart right with God. Immediately, Amalek is going to camp on your doorstep and say, don't do that this morning. You need to wait. You really ought to wait. You don't need to wait. You need to come today. Father, thank you this morning. In the name above every name, the precious name of Jesus. Thank you for saving our souls and for still wanting to save souls. Thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, that you desire no one perish but all come to life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sweet spirit in this church. May we never take that for granted. But, oh God, would you continue to pour out your spirit fresh on each one of us. Let your will be done in this service this morning. Those that need to be saved, those that need a church home, Lord, those that need to just come and pray. God, may Christians lead the way. May we be honest this morning. Say, God, I don't have it. I might sit here and pretend like I'm happy, but I'm not living the Spirit-filled life. It's evident in the way that I live. Oh, God, may this be the day that the Holy Spirit of God moves in and takes over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.